Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Chapter 2. So, um, in my personal devotions, I'm in John chapter 16. And you know, sometimes when God um, speaks to you, you're reading your Bible, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, like you got to put your seatbelt on. Like you're like, how did I miss this? Did I see this before? But I came across John 16, 23 and 24, which I know. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, get this, whatever. Say it again. Say it like, not like whatever. Like whatever. Okay, one, two, three. You ask the Father in my name because of what I've done, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Did you hear the power in that promise? Did you, did you get it? That he's saying, now you can go running into the throne room of God boldly, fall down before the throne of grace, and say, Father, here, here is what I want. And it's not just about, you know, um, my needs. There are people that say, just your needs. No, he's not the great comrade. He's your father. You go in there and you say, God, I need a steak dinner tonight. I need to be so filled with you. I want a revival. I want this generation to know Jesus Christ personally. I want every single one of my children to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask big things. You know, this is like carte blanche power. Whatever. Like, I mean, let's say it the real way. Whatever. It's like, not like whatever. 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 You know, God's going to put big things on your heart, big things into your mind. You're going to pray the whatevers. Like, what if God wants to do this? What if he wants to save my neighborhood? What if he wants to do a real revival? What if he wants to use me? What if he wants to speak through me? Wow. This is so much power that when I was reading this, I'm like, am I safe with this power? I mean, this is me. I could start moving Brian all over the place. (laughs) Is this power that is invested in me by the blood of Jesus Christ, is it safe? Oh, yes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is moving on us to pray along with God. And prayer aligns our will with the will of God. You see, we have a God that wants to do great things. And he puts it on our hearts, some of these great things. And then we become participants. We become part of the investment as we pray. Think of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. He does all these sacrifices in Gibeon, and then he goes to sleep. Isn't that just right? This huge spiritual work. And then he goes to sleep. But God doesn't sleep. God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says this, ask, 
and there's an exclamation mark after that ask. Like, ask, ask. Remember how Jesus said in in Matthew chapter six, ask, seek, knock. And he says, ask, what shall I give you? Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon then says to the Lord, I need wisdom. You've given me a kingdom. You've given me, you know, this authority. I need wisdom. These are your people. I need wisdom. And God said, you've got wisdom. But I'm going to even add more to that. That's not the end of the story. I'm going to even bless you more. I remember being in England. I know exactly where I was. I was about to go to sleep at night. I might have told you this before. I might have said it last week or the week before. I'm old. I don't remember. But I remember the Lord coming into my room and saying, ask for whatever you want. At the time, I had two teenagers. One was not walking with the Lord. She wanted the world. She even admitted to me, I just want the world. I like the world. I want to be like friends, like the program Friends. I just, I like the way they dress. I like the way they live. Their life is just so fun. I just want to be like that. And the other one was just angry, my other teenager. And then I had these two little ones. And instead of looking at them like potential for godly leaders, I was like, oh, what are they going to do to me? (laughs) What am I raising? I was so like, Father. And the Lord said, Cheryl, ask. And I said, I want all of my children walking with Jesus. And I named each one. This is a fourfold prayer, God. I want Kristen and Char and Kelsey and Braden. I want them to walk with you sincerely, truly, really. I don't want pretense. I'm a pastor's kid. I've seen a lot of pastor's kids that just pretend or come to church whitewashed sepulchers with death inside. I want my kids to be thoroughly, authentically walking with you and knowing you. And whatever it takes, God, I want you to do that. And I felt like God said, done. I was like, okay. You know, I didn't see the evidence totally fulfilled for at least 20 years. But I prayed and I reminded God of that night and that covenant that we made together and what he told me. And I can tell you today, October 22nd, 2021, all of my children are authentically walking with Jesus. And not only are they walking with Jesus, they've become my mentors. I mean, and somebody said, what does it feel like to see your son up here preaching? And I could say, which one? Because both are so dang anointed by Jesus. And I sit there and I glean and I listen and I am thrilled to the core. And I say, God, you kept your promise. You kept your word. You are a God that answers. Get this, prayer. He is, I'm 61 years old and I'm gonna tell you, God answers prayer. It's the history of my life. God answers prayer. It's powerful. It is powerful. Prayer is the untapped resource in the believer's life. Prayer is the most untapped, underused, neglected, and yet powerful and dynamic resource that we as believers have 
to move mountains, to change the direction of nations, to, to bring down strongholds of the devil, to wipe out drugs. We have that power. We have that power. And that power is through the venue of prayer, of asking God. Asking God. Why don't we tap into this power? Well, I think it's because we lack faith. We believe more in our power to work, more in our, let me make some money for you so I can tithe. We believe more in what we do for God than what God wants to do for us. We believe more. We're doing for God. We'll do for you, we'll do for you, we'll do, we'll do, we'll do. And God's saying, will you just sit down and let me do for you? Will you get on your knees? We believe in our methods more than in God's ways. We believe in our recipes and how we do things and our rituals more than we believe in the way of God, which is through prayer. We believe more in the pervasiveness of evil than that God will work. We resign ourselves like, well, I guess it's evil. I guess this is the way the world's going. No. Oh, no, it's not. Not by your marching, not by your demonstrations, but if you would get on your knees and begin to pray, if you would grab friends and say, let's get on our knees, let's begin to pray. We don't trust that God actually is going to work and we're almost afraid to pray because I don't want to put it out there and you not work and be disappointed. And so we never put it out there. Or we just like, and if you want to save the governor, go ahead. But I don't think you will. (laughs) Secondly, we are in too much of a hurry. We don't like his timetable. We want it down now. We're too used to in and out hamburgers. Let me just say that. I want to put my order in, and by the time I get to the window, I want it ready for me. You know, what is it, Del Taco? Isn't it sad that I know these places? But Del Taco has that little timer. Like if, you know, the clock runs out before you get your order, it's free. Yeah, 21 seconds, and you better get it. I got a free red burrito one time. Took them 25 seconds. And sometimes we're like that with God. God, my timetable, you've, it's already been two minutes. Where is the answer? As I said with my children, 20 years, 20 years. But God answered it. God answered it. We want things done in our time. And so we pray once, we pray twice, maybe three times. And then we just stop because it wasn't answered in that first week. Thirdly, we want to express ourselves and make ourselves known more than we want God known. I'm sorry, but it's true. We want to be seen as accomplishing something for God rather than standing back and saying, all I did was worship and all I did was bow down. All I did was pray, and this is God. Do 
we believe that God can? Do we believe that God will? We need to move from God can to God will. We need to move into that. Prayer is powerful, and it highlights the work and ways of God. The Bible is literally filled from cover to cover with answered prayer. If this book tells us anything, it tells us that God answers prayer. It reveals to us the power of prayer, that it brings God's presence to the battle, that it brings God's presence to the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, to the dreams of the Pharaoh of Egypt. It brings, um, it reveals the enemy's strategies to the little prophet Elisha in Dotham. It levels mountains, it removes barriers, it defeats the enemies all by prayer. In Revelation 8, verses 3 through 5, we read about prayers, that the angels come with their censers and with the prayer of the saints, and they mix the prayer of the saints with the incense of heaven. So prayers become mixed with heavenly essence, and then it's put on the throne of God where the prayers of the saints, that's you and me, the prayer of the saints is mixed with the incense of heaven. It's amalgamated. No longer two separate substances, but it becomes one substance. And then it tells us that the smoke ascends to God. He smells it. He breathes it in. And once God has breathed it in, the angels then take these amalgamated prayers from the golden altar before the throne of God, and they fill their censers with this amalgamated substance, and they hurl it. I love the word hurl. They hurl it back to earth. And it becomes lightning, earthquakes, thunderings, and one other thing, noises. Noises, noises, thunderings, lightnings, earthquakes. See, prayer brings God's power, God's wisdom, God's ways, God's purposes to every trial to every state, to every country, to every person, to every situation. This is what prayer does. Prayer brings us into this incredible premise, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe we don't pray because we have forgotten that the will of God is good that the will of God is abundant, that it's beneficial, that it's wondrous. We have come to believe that our will is better than God's will. It's the truth. It's the sad, sad truth. I remember as a teenager saying, God, I know you have a plan up there, but I really like my plan. Would you please accomplish my plan? 
that was one prayer that he said absolutely not to, for my good, for my benefit. Aren't you thankful for all the prayers God has not answered? That he said, um, no. Brian had, <laughs> my dad used to tell this story. I just have to tell this. My dad used to tell this story. Well, I was there. I was actually there. I remember the week that my dad came, like, like floating into his office. And he went up there and he kissed my mom and he just gave her a big hug. And my mom's like, Chuck, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And he said, Kay, I just saw an old girlfriend. By this time, my dad was in his 70s. I just saw an old girlfriend that I prayed and prayed I could marry. And I just, I didn't even recognize her. And as I was talking to her, I was saying, God, thank you for saying no. because you met Kay for me. So recently, some people in the church met one of Brian's old girlfriends that he was quite serious about. And it was Lance that went to Brian and said, Brian, you know that story that Chuck tells about, thank God he said no? I just think you ought to do that right now. (laughs) And I was like, bring it down, Lance. Yes, hallelujah. Do you believe God's will is better than your will? Do you? If not, you need to pray, God, show me how superior your will is to my will. Your will is superior. It's got better things for me than I want for myself. Again, I quoted C.S. Lewis, I think it was last week or the week before. Remember, I'm 61. I'm forgetting these things. But C.S. Lewis said, it's not that men ask for too much. It's that they settle for too little. Hudson Taylor who was a missionary in China. He started the China Inland Mission. He served for 51 years as the head of the China Inland Mission. He imported 850 missionaries to China. The work is still going on in China today. He set up over 20 different missionary posts all over China. And during his lifetime, over 125,000 Chinese people were saved. And he said this, this is his motto, learn to move man by God through prayer alone. If you can write down anything from this Bible study, write this, learn to move man, that includes your husband, includes the president, and includes the governor, learn to move man by God through prayer alone. Hudson Taylor had to pray for the political upheaval. We had an empress got upset and tried to exterminate every Christian in China. Hudson Taylor had to learn to pray and have the heart of this empress changed to save the missionaries, and to save the Christians in China. 1 Timothy 2 is all about prayer. Let me say this. It is not about the role of women. It is not. When we pull it out and we extract it and we make it about who women are and are not to be in the church, we miss the point. The whole context of 1 Timothy 2 is prayer. Paul wants 
Timothy to get the people in Ephesus praying because the power is in prayer. He wants to get them away from the fables, again, uh, away from the genealogies, away from the arguments, away from the Hymenaeuses and the Alexanders that are shipwrecking the faith, and he wants Timothy, get the people praying. Get the men praying, get the women praying. So he says, so, sorry, so in this chapter, there are four points, and these are the four points. Number one, teach men and women to pray. Teach them, get them praying. Number two, teach them the people that they are to pray for. Teach them who they are to pray for. Thirdly, tell them why they're supposed to pray. Give them the reasons they're supposed to pray. Fourthly, show them the weapons, both men and women, that they are not to substitute for prayer. I'll go over all these, so I just wanted to get you ready for this. Paul is saying, I left you in Ephesus to get men and women praying. When men and women stop praying, the churches turn political instead of spiritual. And they get involved with trivialities and temporal things. And they lose sight of the eternal things and the eternal plan of God. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Luke 11, 1, meant Uh, He taught them by example. Jesus was always praying publicly and privately. He taught them by giving an example of prayer. Jesus did all he did by the power of prayer because prayer is our connection to God. Paul exhorts Timothy, and he says, therefore, therefore. The therefore refers to you've been left in Ephesus, You've got enemies. You've got, you got problems. Therefore, therefore. And then he says, I exhort. I am telling you. I am strongly beseeching you. I'm begging you. I'm encouraging you that you make it. And he says, first of all, first of all, this Phrase, first of all, that we find here. Therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all. First of all, of primary importance. That's the Greek rendering. Of primary importance or a priority. Put this at the top of the church priority list. That prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Let your first response be prayer. I learned this as a child from my parents. You know, I would get hurt, and and I would be like, look at my knee, it hurts so bad. I'd hear, Father, you see Cheryl's knee. And I'd be like, oh, we're praying. I wanted a little more sympathy, but that's okay. We're going to go to God. You know, my mom would be driving, and... I remember we were in an accident. Uh, This car hit us at Fairview and Adams. I was 12 years old. We were on our way home from church. And 
as the car's coming towards us, my mom's just like, Father, if this is our time, Sherry and I, to go to heaven, hallelujah. But if not, Father, I pray that you would protect us by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you would save us, that you would give us help from on high. Boom, boom. We got hit so hard by this girl going the opposite way on Fairview. She hit the front of the car, then she backed up and she hit the back of the car. And it looked, I swear, like an angel stood in front of my mom's door. I'm 12. We get out. And even the police officer says, wow, it looks like an angel stood in front of your door. How did she hit the front and the back and miss your door? My mom said, I was praying. My mom couldn't even open her door. We had to get out on my side. She said, Cheryl, get out on your side. Our car was rocking. It was making weird sounds. We got out. We went over to the side. She said, Father, we're stuck here. This is before cell phones. Let Chuck know. The next thing you know, this couple pulls over and they're saying, we're just coming home from church. We saw you, Kay. And can we help? And she's like, go tell Chuck. And they did. They just left. And then this other couple come, these other people come, some hippies come and say, are you guys okay? My mom said, Cheryl needs a ride home. She's got school tomorrow. And they just took me home. People I never knew before. It's like, okay, well, you know, God's in this. Hi, my name is Cheryl. I'm Chuck's daughter. Be good to me. Don't kidnap me. I'm not worth any money. Aw, that's sweet. Somebody said, yes, you are. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. But I learned this as a child. In any situation, just start praying. First of all, of utter importance. This should be our response. And again, exhort is this strong word, parakaleo, summon, beseech, encourage. And then again, supplication, request, giving God the laundry list. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Supplication, prayers, this is more intimate dialogue and conversation with God. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Intercessions. This one hurts. This is praying on behalf of someone else as if you were that person. That's what the term intercession means, as if you were them. This is very hard. I remember reading Daniel 10 and Ezra 9, and both of these righteous men using plural personal pronouns. They didn't say, the people of Israel have sinned. My brothers have sinned. You know, my sisters have sinned. They have sought the idols. No, they said, we have sinned. We have sought the idols. We have prayed to pagan gods. We deserve this. And I remember part of me was really upset, like, Daniel, no, no, you're good. You don't deserve that. Don't associate with those people. And the Lord showed me Jesus who went on the cross and associated with sinners. He was numbered with the transgressors. On both sides of him were thieves and rebels. And he associated with us and our sin taking it upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And yet we're, when we pray, we're like, them, they. 
Intercession is to pray as if you were them. We're in the same boat together. It's called the world. (laughs) We're in the same boat. It's called California. We're in the same boat. We need Jesus. We need revival. We need the spirit of God. We need revelation. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the boat. We've refused opportunities to come to Christ and fall on our knees. We need salvation. We need revival. Pray as if you were them. I think of the man in Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee who was praying, and he said, Father, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like that publican over there. But I tithe regularly. I go to synagogue. I am so righteous. I'm not like him. And the tax collector was smiting his chest and saying, oh, is there any mercy for me? Is there any mercy? Jesus said it was the tax collector that was heard by God and received the answer to his prayer and not the self-righteous. I think intercession helps us to get rid of the self-righteousness and the separateness and the holier-than-holy attitude that we get and to realize we're in this world together and we need the Spirit of God to come. Giving of thanks, finding the good and the acceptable thing, giving thanks for the miracle of even their creation. God, you knew before time began who would be the governor and who would be the president. You knew. You already knew 2021. You already knew this hour. You already knew this time. You knew. It was no surprise to you, like, Trump lost? They cheated? Who let them get away with it? No, God knows everything. Ultimately, God is behind everything. All things work together for the good. All things. Is there an exclusive? Is, that, is there anything outside of all things? Is there anything? Like all things work together. See, we don't have an eternal picture. We don't have the heavenly perspective. So we're like, they cheated you, God. They cheated you. You, you let the Russians or the Muslims or the who knows who. Get away with this, Bill Gates. We, you let him get away. No, all things work together. And so we can look at the whole situation and say, God, I know that all things work together. I know that you've got unseen purposes even in this. And I thank you that you're on the throne. You didn't get off the throne. You didn't say, well, Biden won the presidency. Go ahead and take my throne. Putin's in Russia. Go ahead. No, he said, I'm still on the throne. God even uses the wrath of man to praise him. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. All things. So we can give thanks. Why? Because in the end, Jesus wins. Jesus always wins. 
You can read the end of the book, which I'm so thankful for, and find out Jesus wins. Oh, <laughs> thank God. Jesus comes, and he becomes greater than the President of the United States. He becomes the king of the whole world. And that's where we're headed, to Jesus, to Jesus ruling and reigning on earth, where righteousness flows like a river. All things. So we can give thanks in all things. Leaders are to be praying. They're to be exemplifying prayer, exhorting others to pray, and exercising prayer in everything, Philippians 4, 6. Who is to be prayed for? All men. Did you get that? And that's uh, all men and women, actually. It's an inclusive word. All men. So what person are you not to pray for? Silence. We are to be praying for all men and women. The mean neighbor, yes. The, you know, the mean senator, yes. The ungodly, yes. We are to be praying for all men, for all people. Pray for all people you encounter. I used to sit on the third row here, and there was a woman I sat next to named Beryl, and she was an African-American beautiful woman. Her hat always matched her husband's tie every single Sunday. And I sat next to her, and she, she was very perceptive. She said, am I wrong, or is Chuck Smith smiling just a little more at you? Because he's never smiled this much down in this, this area of the church before. Do you know him? And I said, yes. She said, okay. So then they gave an announcement. Cheryl Broderson is doing something. She goes, because I had already said, she said, you know, what's your name? And I said, Cheryl. She turns to me, she goes, are you that Cheryl? And I said, yes. And she said, well, Cheryl, I'm going to tell you this. I take a picture of everyone I sit next to on a Sunday morning. I've got my camera. This is before the cell phones took pictures. And she marches me outside there, and she takes my picture. And she puts it on her hallway wall with all the other people that she sat to, sat next to at church. And every time she would go down the hall, she would just say, Spirit, show me who to pray for. And then she would look, see the name, and pray for that person. When she had her funeral, um, I got to meet her son, who is a, a, a judge in California, very highly placed, passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And he said, you look really familiar. Are you on my mother's wall? <laughs> Pray for all men for all women. This includes kings. Remember, this included Herod, the Herods, the usurpers, the violent Herods who had been related to Herod the Great, who had no business being on the thrones of Israel. It included Nero, the despot. It included all who were in authority, all who were in the Senate in Rome, all Jewish authority, even those who had crucified Jesus, even the Sanhedrin who worked against the church. Paul could say this because he had been on that council. And God saved him. The purpose of prayer. Paul then lists five reasons to pray. He says, number one, that believers may lead a quiet and peaceable life that we may live as Christians with an absence of war, that we might be able to set an example of peace or the way of God and the way 
to God, that Christians would not need to hide, to flee, but be able to carry on the work that Jesus has given us without distraction. Secondly, he says that we might live with all godliness and reverence, that we may live lives under the authority of God's word and freely be able to practice our faith, which includes evangelizing, discipleship, and teaching the word of God. We need to pray. We need to pray. Thirdly, we need to pray because it's good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. We pray because this is good. It is beneficial. It is healthy. It is pure. It is unimpeachable. It is what God wants. We pray because it's acceptable to God. It gives him pleasure. It gives him joy. He receives it, and he works through the venue of prayer. James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. Next, we pray, because I lost count, because God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In Ezekiel 18.23, it says that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. God wants the wicked to repent and turn from their sin. Again, Paul is no doubt thinking of himself that he was as far from Christ as anyone could be, chief of sinners, and Jesus met him, saved him, and put him in the ministry. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When we ask for judgment rather than revival and salvation, we are not praying in accordance with the way and will of God. We are not praying according to that good and acceptable prayer. Paul says then that we are to pray because there is only one way that every person can be saved. It's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. There is no other way for men to be saved but through Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself as the penalty and price for our sins. He ransomed us. You see, men are kept by Satan. And only Jesus can pay the penalty for that sin and set the captive free. But the blood of Christ must be applied to the debt. But Jesus died and paid the penalty so that any man who wants to be saved only needs to claim the blood of Christ. Prayer causes the work of the gospel and the purposes of God to be brought to bear to the world. Next, what are we not to substitute for prayer? When we are not praying, we are not seeing the work of God. Our faith is not being strengthened. Recently, someone was dogging on Brian. Big surprise there. He's so nice. It's so easy to get to him because he's so sweet. Seriously, he really is. And this person said, Brian preaches too much grace and not enough grit. 
grit. Grit is the dirty elements of dirt rather than enabling grace. When we're not praying, we're counterproductive. We are moving men away from God rather than revealing God to them. We are misrepresenting the God who wants every person to be saved. And we are seeing the work of men and not of God. Even the plans of the best men and women will fail. Even the hardest work and the best work of men and women has a limited sphere, a limited product, and a limited time. But the work of God is eternal. We don't want a temporary fix. We want an eternal fix. So we need to see the work of the eternal, immortal, invisible, all-wise God. And we see that when we pray. We want to make Jesus known. And to do that, we give Jesus every man in every situation through prayer. Everywhere. What does this convey to you about prayer? When he says, I wish that men everywhere, men and women everywhere. It means that wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, you need to be praying. There's no exemptions, no exclusion clause. Wherever you are, go first to God in prayer in every single situation. And he says, lifting up holy hands. You know why we lift our hands in prayer? Do you know? It's a sign of surrender when we're singing that we surrender to God. It's saying, God, I surrender to you. You do your work. I remember being in a really awful situation. It was really hard, and I wanted to fight. I wanted to fight, and I not only wanted to fight, I wanted to fight to the death. I wanted to win this one. I knew that this group I was working with was making wrong choices, and they were going the wrong way. And I was just telling God all the reasons they were wrong. And you know what God said to me? Put your weapon on the ground and put your hands in the air and back away. And I was like, what? God said, put your weapon down. Surrender to me and back away and watch what I'll do. That's a word for us, not just that you've heard on a true crime show. Put your weapon, and that's what he said. I want the men to put away the wrath, which is the fist at the enemy. I want, that's literally the translation, fist at the enemy. I want men to put the wrath and I want them to put the doubting. I need to do it because God's not going to come through. If I don't do it, God won't do it. Mm-mm. Put it on the ground. Put that weapon on the ground and get your hands surrendered to God. Get ready to receive your orders from God. And back away from the situation until you hear from the Lord. Prayer is our surrender to God and the surrendering of our weapons that we think that we think will work. God knows how ineffective they are. Franklin Graham, in his, in his book um, about the prodigal, I can't remember the name of it right now. It's Rebel with a Cause. I made my boys both read that. He quoted Romans 12, 19, which says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he said, God said, give me room 
Give me room. Back away and let me work. That's why we back away. Let me work in this situation. You're too close. You're too involved. Put your weapon down. Start praying and let me work. And he called it God room. God room. Prayer gives God room. Likewise, Paul says, likewise. And now he's going to exhort the women to pray. And he's got two points. Women are not to use their feminine wiles. They're not to use their clothes and their adornment. And I want you to think about this. There's something called the power suit that women wear. I'm in charge of this company. See the power suit? We women, okay, let's be honest. We get some of our security by our clothes. And, you know, none of us comes to this Bible study wearing sackcloth. There's a reason for that. We don't want to look out of style. We, you know, bad hair days, right? Are bad hair days the worst days? I mean, I remember having a bad hair day, and I was just like, these people all think that I'm like the neighborhood weirdo because of my hair. I mean, it was just, you know, it was one of those times I meant to wash it. I didn't get a chance. I got called out, and I'm like, they probably think I shouldn't be the mother of my children because of the bad hair. We take a lot of security in our hair. We take a lot of security in our clothes. We do. We do. I mean, there's nothing like a new outfit for an insecure place we have to go. There's nothing like that. That you know, And so we try on 30 pairs of jeans just to find the one pair of jeans that makes us look five pounds thinner than we are. You know, we're women. We do this. He says, do not do it by feminine wiles, by dressing to draw attention to yourself. Uh, he talked about not using jewelry. See, a lot of women wear jewelry like, see, I'm of value. I'm of worth. This shows I'm important. I'm rich. I have power. I can influence people. He says, this is not the way to do it. Women are to find their identity, their value, their power in godliness. This is in their connection to God. And their fruit is to be the good works that flow from prayer, their connection with God. Their influence is their connection with God. Therefore, women are to learn, menthanos. They are to learn about God so they can grow spiritually. They are learned they are to learn in quietness. That word in, in quietness means to be without interruption or disruption. They're supposed to learn, just receive. It's, it's like what James said in James chapter 1, that we are to receive the engrafted word, the word of God, with meekness. Meekness is, I need it. I'm receptive. Women are to learn with receptivity. Women are to listen like Mary at the feet of Jesus who heard akuros, his word. She heard it with understanding. Women are not to seize power. That word here for, um, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority. That word authority, have authority, it's actually a phrase, and it means to seize authority over a man, but to be quieted or at rest. Women are not to seize power. 
or to try to lead or usurp power over men. Why would Paul say this? Because when women are afraid, they try to seize control. Believe it or not, you do. I know you. And you know how I know you? I'm one of you. And when I am scared, I want to drive the car even if I don't know where we're going or the way to get there. Just let me have the wheel. Let me put the pressure on the gas pedal. Let me know where the brake is. We try to seize power. You know they say that most fights between husbands and wives are on one of two issues. Control and money. And the money issue is really who's got control of the money. So it's back to control. It's back to control. And we control because we're scared, because we don't trust, right? And so he's saying, trust God. Trust God. Peter talks about this when he says that we are to be like Sarah, who trusted God. And he says, without fear, she trusted God. We can deny that we want to seize power, but it's absolutely true. We can deny that there are gender distinctions, and I know culture is doing this. In fact, right now, uh, it came down from Sacramento that all department stores are not to segregate the boys' toys from the girls' toys. That's going to really confuse Barbie. It's just like, you know, all that does is complicate our lives. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I mean, <laughs> obviously this lesson is for me too. In mankind's rebellion to God, he is losing his glory and becoming the beast he feels so related to. Personally, I don't believe this is a prohibition against women teaching men. I was once taken to task for um, teaching Sunday school to five-year-old boys because they were going to grow up and be men. And I will tell you the truth. I teach first and second grade every other Sunday, and there are boys in that class. And I am hoping to inspire them to love Jesus and get this. I teach them Bible stories. I do. And I believe I am totally under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit when I do it. This is all about seizing power. Because otherwise, why learn? Why learn? In Titus chapter 2, before Paul says he wants the older women to teach the younger women, he said, I want the older women to be godly so they can be teachers of good things. You know what I am? I want to be a teacher of good things. And you know what the good thing is? Jesus! That's what I ask my Sunday school kids. What's the good thing? They, they answer Jesus no matter what the question is. Jesus! So I always try to make the answer, Jesus, so everyone gets it right. Jesus. My own father grew up under the ministry of Amy Simple McPherson, and she is the reason that my grandparents got saved. This scripture is informing us on the right use of our gender, that we are to pray, to learn, to exemplify godliness, and to practice good works. Isn't it funny how our mind always goes to what we're not supposed to do instead of to what we're supposed to do? 
We're always like, not to teach, not to teach, quietness, like the worst word a woman could hear, quietness. And we're never focusing and we're not focusing enough on what we're to do, we're to pray, we're to learn, we're to exemplify godliness, we're to practice good works. Paul states, I do not allow. He doesn't say, this is a faithful saying. Remember, he used that phrase. He doesn't say, I command you. He doesn't say, I charge you. He is telling Timothy something that Timothy didn't know before. This is unique to this epistle and to this situation. Otherwise, Paul would say, I command, I charge, this is a faithful saying. But he's saying, I do not allow. This was something that Timothy did not know about Paul. Paul is telling Timothy something that Timothy had not seen practiced by Paul. Timothy knew Priscilla, and he must have known about Paul's co-labor with women, godly women that we learn about in Romans 16 and Philippians 4. But Paul is telling Timothy, you are the pastor You are the leader. Maintain your leadership and your pastorate and don't let a woman seize control and try to take over the church in Ephesus. You are the pastor. I know pastors' wives who try to seize control and say, let me preach and let me tell the people and you're not doing a good enough job. That is what he is saying. You're the pastor. I once had a woman who really felt she was supposed to take over the Joyful Life ministry, and I'm going to tell you, she went to my dad with all her feminine wiles when my dad was at a very, very weak place and said, I just want to do another Bible study at Calvary that's more like Kay, more like Kay than Cheryl, seriously. And I remember, um, and then she tried to seize the authority, and I remember just saying, Lord, Not my will, but yours be done. I'm here because mom asked me, and I feel by your appointment, but if I'm not the person, then I will give it up. And my mom had already had the dementia. And I, I, somebody said, you need to call your mom. I'm like, I can't. I don't know that she would understand. And she said, I'm really feeling strongly. You need to call your mom. So I called my mom, and my mom was in her right mind, and she understood everything. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I know that woman, and I know you. God has called you. He has anointed you. And I'm going to call your father right now. Now, get this. Why all this is going on, this dove comes and lands right next to me. And I'm trying to move over from the dove. And the dove comes right next to me. And so I move over more. And I'm talking. And I'm like, this dove won't leave me alone. So I get up. I'm like fleeing from the dove. And I go over, and I, I walk over, you know, by the high school offices to get away from the dove. You know what the dove does? It follows me. And it's on the railing. I'm, I'm leaning on the railing. I'm talking to my dad. My dad says, honey, I just talked to your mom. He called me. I, he was in his office. I'm right there. But I like, what if he says, I'm giving it to the cute one. You're out. She's in. You know, I didn't know. It was just such a precarious time. And here's this dove. Like, don't leave me alone. I'm like, go away. I'm talking to my dad. Go away, dove. And it won't leave me. It just stays there. This dove. And um, the situation was taken care of when she was told, no, we're not going to have a competing Bible study at Calvary. We all need to be on the same page as women. She turned lethal. I mean, seriously, so mean. But I, there's that dove. 
And I, I caught off the phone and I was talking to my friend. I said, this dove won't leave me alone. What is going on? She's like, Cheryl, the Holy Spirit is with you and that's his sign that he's for you. And I'm like, little dove, <laughs> little dove. I was like, what? Here I am trying to get away from the dove. And, and I've, never had an experience. I've never had a dove do that to me since. I had a raven do it to me once. But this was a dove. But I was junior high, and I needed that raven. But this was a dove. So women are to learn, to be informed, to grow in knowledge, to master the knowledge of, to be instructed, trained for use. Going back to the original order, Adam was created first. I want to say this. I'm so sorry. Eve was created. I'm on my last page. You'll be so happy. Eve was created in order to complement Adam or to make him whole, a whole person, to give the other half, not to dominate, not to be the leader, but to be by his side. Adam was purposeful in his sin, but Eve was deceived. Genesis 3.13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Eve was honest with the Lord. Adam blamed Eve and God didn't like that. Paul is stating the reason women are not to seize authority over men because it's not the order God intended. Women fell into transgression unintentionally. She believed the lie. Women do not have a lower place, but women by the rabbis in Paul's time, were blamed for death and for the fall. Some rabbis taught and practiced that women were to march in front of the coffin at a funeral because they brought death into the world. So every funeral, you would have the women. This is the reason that person died. That woman, her great-great-grandmother, she ate. She's the cause. The rabbis also taught that women menstruated because Eve shed Adam's blood. And so every month they were reminded of the blood that they shed, that they killed Adam. And they were to light the Sabbath lights because they extinguished the light in Adam's soul. This was the rabbinic teaching in Paul's time. So what does Paul say? Paul says, Eve is not responsible for the fall. Adam is. Because Adam did it willfully. Paul was actually elevating women and removing the curse of sin. Rather than women bringing death into the world, God used and uses women to bring life into the world. That's what the childbearing is. Women bring life into the world. And it was by a woman that the ultimate life was brought into the world, which is Jesus Christ, which is evidenced by faith in Jesus, agape, fruit of the Spirit, love, holiness, becoming like Jesus, and self-control, not seizing power, but resting in Jesus. Let me read you um, the message, and I'll only read you um, verses 8 through 15. Since prayer is at the bottom of all this. What I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. And I want women to get in there with the men in humility before God, not primping before a mirror or chasing the latest fashions, 
but doing something beautiful for God and becoming beautiful doing it. I don't let women take over and tell the men what to do. They should study to be quiet and obedient along with everyone else. Adam was made first, then Eve. Women was, woman was deceived first, our pioneer in sin, with Adam right on her heels. On the other hand, her childbearing brought forth salvation, reversing the curse of Eve. But this salvation only comes to those who continue in faith, love, and holiness, gathering it all into maturity. You can depend on this. Bottom line, we need to give up our carnal weapons and seek by prayer to move men that all men and women would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let our priority be prayer and the salvation of souls rather than a moral culture that masks a generation that is steeped in sin and going to hell in a handbasket. That's a quote of my mother's. Rather than violence and uprising in the name of Jesus, rather than moving men and women further from salvation, let us pray and seek the Lord of heaven. Let us use this incredible power he has given to us by his life, his death, and his resurrection and ascension, resulting in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have power. We've got the power but to use it and to see it displayed, we need to, I'm glad you five heard. We need to commit to pray. And if we will commit to pray, God will commit to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you have given us the venue of prayer. Father, may our eyes be open this week to this glorious power. Father, let us not seek power from lesser things, but let us seek the power that you have for us by your Spirit, that power that levels mountains quells the opposition, and builds the temple of the living God in the hearts and souls of men. God, move us to pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.